The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Why do you love the people that you love? Why do you love the people that you love? We think, if we don't think about it, it's like, well, it's just how I feel. It's a, you know, affection that I have for them. Uh, I'm married to them, and so there's a commitment. Um, because they're a part of family, of course, that might be a challenge as well, Um, or we admire them, we have something in common with them. We've come to the end of Jesus' prayer, and he makes a connection that I want us to think about between knowing God and love. Knowing God and love. A main emphasis in this prayer has been knowing. It's been It's been revealing, Jesus revealing God's glory to us. Last week we focused on verse 24. And Jesus' desire for us to see his own glory, this glory that he had before creation. And uh, what what a great day that will be. To see his glory, to experience his glory, to fully, or or not fully, but much more... than we do now, comprehend who he is. So now at the end of this prayer, Jesus speaks of love. Love the Father has for the Son. A love for a people that is seen in sending his Son. And this love of God being in us. Because we know God, who is love. There's a connection between knowing God and love. There's, therefore, we would think, if we want to be a more loving person, we must know God. His love needs to be in us. And it seems to be a love that's more than what comes naturally. You know, unbelievers obviously love. They love because they're made in the image of God and it's corrupted. In all of us. But what Jesus is getting at here is a, a love from the Father. A love that's been placed in us. So it's a kind of love that would send Jesus. It's the kind of love that's expressed in, in a humble sacrifice. This is both a challenge to us as we struggle with indwelling sin. And we need to think of it also as inevitable. It's a challenge and it's inevitable. It's inevitable because now we actually know God and Christ is in us. And so put another way, we might ask, how is it possible for us not to love? Let's take a look at the end of this amazing prayer. Again, the text is John 17, 25 through 26. Um, Let's begin with verse 24. There's a connection there. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known 
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is God's word. Uh, let's pray before we continue. Father, we, we desire, we look forward to that day when we will behold the glory of Jesus. Your word declares that when we see him, we will be like him. That our sanctification will be completed in glory. And until then, we pray to be more like Jesus. Help us to, help us to love like him. Thank you, Father, that you do all things well, that every circumstance is intended for our good, that, that in these circumstances we have opportunities to, to look to you and to love like Jesus. So open our eyes to the truth of your word. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you so that we might love as you love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in... Some circumstances, love is just really easy because some people are just lovable. But scripture tells us that, that we were not so lovable, that we were actually enemies of God while he loved us. This is the challenge of love, to love not only the, the lovable, but the not so lovable. Some people are hard to love, let's be honest. Some people are just hard to love. And maybe that's, maybe that's me. You know, maybe we're blind to that. Some, some love requires a lot of wisdom and discernment. And we talk about topics like forgiveness and love. Well, there's a lot of details involved in that. Details that might cause us to feel excused from loving and forgiving but also details that give us wisdom on how best to love, how best to forgive. So the motive, I guess, the motive should have to do with God, ultimately. There should be a mindfulness of his grace. And that's what we're taught over and over in Scripture is, you know, how can we not be a forgiving person considering how God has forgiven us? And our debt is way bigger than anybody's debt against you. How could we not be loving um, in light of how God has loved us when we were his enemies. I really like the, I've come to like the writing of a fellow named Greg Morris who writes for DesiringGod.org. In his article, How to Love People You Don't Like, he begins, he begins by quoting a friend. And here's that quote from a friend. Uh, Nothing makes me more unsure whether I will persevere until the end like spending too long in his presence. This guy speaking of a friend of his. And then Greg goes on to write, Months had gone by, interactions multiplied, and good intentions no longer were strong enough to sustain my friend in his attempt to love this difficult person. According to him, this particular gentleman was the type to complain incessantly, listen sparingly, intermingle belligerently, receive presumptuously, smile seldomly, and gossip freely, even when food still lingered half-eaten in his mouth. Like the pre-converted Augustine who took pleasure in senseless offenses, he was, he was a, this man was a cyclist, not because he enjoyed the exercise, but he pedaled leisurely down the middle of the street 
prodding along, prodded along by honking horns because he took delight in people's displeasure. He was the type to stick gum under tables. My friend tried in vain to enjoy his company, but after a year, he still wondered piously uh, the words of Jesus, how long am I to bear with you? He even began praying, Lord, allow him to obey your word and live quietly and mind his own affairs. He lamented that his love was so small as to only cover handfuls of faults. My friend didn't want to admit it. He felt unchristian acknowledging it. And he knew God had placed the man in his life, but he didn't like him. He preferred a hangnail or wet socks. He wondered how he could obey God's love love for this man that he could no longer stand to be around. It is unmistakable that Jesus calls his own to love those we don't like within the church and without. The love he taught us is not grounded on natural affinities or common interests. We do not stare at our neighbor as some squint at the shapeless clouds, trying to make out something lovable in them before we act. All it takes to summon our care toward anyone on the planet is our master's command, love your neighbor as yourself. And vexingly, we do not get to choose who moves next door or or who lies bleeding on the side of the road. God's expectations for love, indeed, the whole point of commanding it is that we might extend it to those who we wouldn't naturally love. Jesus even goes so far as to call us to love those we have the most cause to dislike, our enemies. While even unbelievers love those who love them in return, while they invite over the funny, the wealthy, the attractive, God calls his people to love the hard to like, requiring no reciprocation. But like my friend, we ask the genuine question, how? That's what I want to think about this morning. How? How do we love? Well, there's some, several motivations uh, this writer mentions one, the most obvious, is that Jesus actually commands it. So recognizing that our Lord and Savior tells us to should be enough. Or Paul in Colossians 1 speaks of, of the love that you have for all the saints. And he says that it's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So there's an objective reality that we, that we look forward to, a shared glory when we'll all be without sin, when sin won't make us so annoying. And I suppose we love now knowing that we have, a, we have this wonderful bond and a certain hope of a great joy to come. So we love others because we love Jesus and we want to please him by obeying him. We We love others in faith because there's a promise of a joyful expectation. But the reason for our love that I want to think about this morning is connected to what Jesus says in our text, a connection between knowing God and love. Now, many Christians have this false dichotomy that is wrongly putting two things in opposition that really aren't in opposition. 
Many think that a, a pursuit of biblical knowledge, of doctrine or truth is contrary to those people who just get out there and serve and do. And certainly there's a difference between knowing some facts and, and knowing a person. So there's a right kind of knowledge. Um, you know, I can know my wife Jennifer's history. I can know what she looks like. I can know about her various talents and preferences and her experiences. But this doesn't mean that I really know her because those things can be known by a stalker on Facebook. Uh, So it takes more than just the mere facts, the mere details. It also requires that that we're in relationship with someone. So, on the other side of of this relationship and this knowing, say, you know, before I met Jen and before we were married, I told a friend, you know, wow, I just, I met this girl. Uh, She's amazing. It's beautiful. I love to be with her. I feel like I can just stare at her all the time. And I think I really love her. And my friend says, Brian, that's great. Um, Tell me about her. What's her name? Well, um, that doesn't really matter. I, it's Jan or Janet or something like that. Um, details don't matter. I just love her. So, facts and details are important. And yet many people think that they can know God without learning about his character and his history. My wife wants me to be a student of her, to know what makes her happy, to know what bothers her. And likewise, God wants us to be students of his word. The Bible exists for the purpose of God revealing who he is. And it becomes personal, it becomes intimate, and not just mere facts when we're in a relationship with him. Because of faith in Jesus, because the Holy Spirit actually indwells us and, and is living in, and we're living in connection with his body, the church. So we can err, really, the point is we can err on both sides of this um, head versus heart contrast dichotomy that people tend to make. We can, we can st- Air in the sense of we can study God, we can know a lot of facts about him, we can, we can study him like he's some bug under a microscope, he's an object that we know a lot of details about without really engaging and responding with our hearts. And we can mindlessly just feel emotion and not know what's actually true about him. We ought to have emotion, but that emotion ought to be in response to what we know to be true about him. What pleases him? What grieves him? So we don't want to be singing with hands raised and tears running down our faces and being moved by descriptions in the song that we're singing that are false. If so, that's idolatrous. It's displeasing to God. So we can act in ways that that misrepresent his mission for us because we don't rightly know him. We don't rightly know his character. We don't know his commands, his desire for us. So if we, if we go up to a stranger and we simply tell that person, 
God loves you. And then leave. We misrepresent everything else and the context of that love. That God is also, as, as Bill was just, Pastor Bill was just saying in our communion, that God is holy and that He is just, that our sin is a terrible crime against Him and that He will justly punish us. And if we don't humbly confess our sins and tell Him that we're sorry and ask for forgiveness and accept this amazing gift of His Son Jesus who paid our debt for us, who reconciled us to God, then we're lost. So God is love. And we see this when we recognize the important details and how God has loved us in a way that doesn't diminish His righteousness or ignore His justice. There's a simple gospel message and the details of truth only fuel our love for Him and our worship of Him. Theology is is fuel for worship. Our desire to obey and tell others about Him come from what we know that is true about God. Head and heart go together. And when we separate them, we, we neither know Him nor truly love Him. Jesus says that in order for His people to have God's love, He, Jesus, has made the truth of the Father known to us. He prays, O righteous Father, I made known to them your name. Name meaning his character, who he is. And Jesus gives us three truths related to Christian love. So let's think about those. First is really what we've been talking about, but knowing that God, or knowing God is actually the source. It's the source of Christian love. What an incredible blessing. Think about the blessing that that is ours to gather on a Sunday to sing songs that speak truth of who God is, to open His Word, and all that we we can take for granted. What an incredible blessing it is that we know God, that we know what He's like, we know what He's done, we know His blessings for us. And you think about all of the people throughout history who didn't hear who were deprived of God's Word, who only maybe heard it through a priest before we had a written Word. And they didn't have their own copies of Scripture. They didn't, maybe they didn't even know how to read. So how blessed, how incredibly blessed are we to be a part of God's church and live in a time where many of us have dozens of Bibles and many translations of it and phones with Scripture on it. Wherever we go, we have access to God's Word, to knowing Him. We're blessed to know God, to have access to podcast teachings and books and, and all of the many teachings uh, that we can read online. Our own private reading, our own private study, for the sake of knowing the most glorious and awesome one of all. And... It dawns on me at times, I don't know about you, but um, just as you're out and about, does it ever hit you? You just take in the beauty of creation. You, you look at the sky, you see the mountains around us, and the beauty of creation strikes you, and you think, the one who spoke this, you feel small. And you think, the one who spoke this into existence knows me. 
I know him. I'm in relationship with him. He actually indwells me. He called me and adopted me. He sent his own son to die for me. He's my friend. He's my helper. The beauty of creation declares his glory. There's no one like him. And he tells me more details of himself in his word. When Jesus prays, even though the world does not know you, I know you. I made known to them your name. Obviously, Jesus knows more than mere facts about the Father. He is in perfect relationship with him, even before the creation of the universe. Your name, your character, I have made known to them, to you, if you belong to Jesus. So the goal, the goal and greatest, think of it, the goal and greatest achievement of Jesus prior to the cross was making God known to us. The attributes of God are many and they're perfect. God is one. And we should study God's word to grow in our relationship with him. But it's interesting that of all of the attributes that Jesus could mention here, he focuses on two, the attributes of righteousness and love. O oh, righteous Father. Righteousness and love. What, a, what better attributes sum up the cross? The cross which shows God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, God had passed over former sins. But he dealt with them at the cross. The cross shows his righteousness and his love. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The cross doesn't ignore sins and say simply, I forgive you. No, the cross says, this is how serious I take it. This is how serious I take sin. My own son will die to pay the penalty that justice demands and all who belong to him by faith are justly declared both righteous and forgiven. And the world, those who do not know God, will stand before him one day and receive the just punishment that they deserve, the punishment that we deserve apart from the grace of Jesus. And this reality ought to move us to love. I was really convicted yesterday. I went to the Cornerstone lecture, and there was a ton of information, but a couple of things that stood out to me. At one point, he said, you know, if you really want to convict yourself or convict someone that you're talking to, you ask these two questions. How's your prayer life, and when is the last time you witnessed to someone? The reality of hell ought to move us to love. Do we really believe in the reality of hell and how terrible it is? And he mentioned also a quote from Spurgeon that has been sticking with me that, here, let me share it with you. Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at the least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Oh, the reality. 
of eternity and our need and what Jesus tells us to do. Go and make disciples, to love, to share the gospel. God is always right. He is always loving by making a way for any to come and receive forgiveness. He will never turn anyone away. All who come to Jesus will be received and loved. The name of God. The character of God. This is who he is. Jesus knows him. And he makes sure that we know him too. So that we will know what love really is. The same writer of this gospel sums up the nature of God in his first epistle saying, God is love. And there is a great implication concerning God's nature of love. John makes the argument that that we should love one another. Why? Well, love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. Do you see the connection? God is love. If we don't know God, we don't know love. Knowing God is the source of Christian love. Knowing God means that we are born of Him. And if we are born of the one who is love, then we too will love. Not optional. Not possible. Let me say it another way. Theology is the study of God. It is a growing knowledge of God. And a right biblical knowledge of God sees Him for who He is. And this knowing results in both a love for God and the very love of God working in us and through us. So if we, if we rightly, if we love without rightly representing who God is, then we'll eventually discover that it wasn't love at all because God is love. Or if we worship and the expressions that that move us are not biblically true, then we haven't actually been worshiping God, but an idol of our own making. And if our theology does not move us to rightly love God and love people, then what we know is just worthless, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Again, read these last two verses and and see the repetition and importance of knowing God. Knowing his name or his character and nature. Having a right theology. So that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Why do we love? Because people are lovable. Because everyone deserves to be loved. Because we just naturally want to? No. We love as a result of knowing God. Rightly knowing him changes us. It makes us like him, like the one who is loved, like the one who sent his only son. A second truth that Jesus gives us is that knowing God is the difference between Christ's people and the world. So why is Jesus about to suffer and die at this point in history that we're at in the gospel of John? Why did the 
the Jews charge him with blasphemy? Why did the religious leaders scoff at the idea of of needing to be forgiven? They didn't know God. They didn't know who Jesus truly is. The world did what they did and does what it does because they don't know who Jesus is and why God sent him and what they actually deserve. And the only difference between the world and us is this knowledge of God that's been given to us. And this isn't to say that we're smarter. We're not necessarily smarter. No, it's, it's God's grace. It's His electing love that chose to open your eyes to the truth to enable you to see Him, to know Him, to respond to Him in faith. Why does the world react to God with scorn and unbelief? Because as Jesus said, the world does not know you. The world does not know him. And why do we react to God with love and faith? Because as Jesus said, I made known to them, to you, his name. The difference is knowing God. And now with with eyes to see We ought to be hungry for more. We ought to be diligent in our learning. Not for the sake of this alone, but head and heart. Diligent in our learning because we love God and we want His love flowing through us. A third truth that Jesus gives us is that He will continue to make God known. The cross resurrection, ascension isn't the end of the story. He will continue to make God known. Jesus has already given his disciples at this point in time, he's already given them a knowledge of God. But think of how much more that they're going to know, that they're going to learn about God as Jesus goes to the cross, as he rises from the dead, as he ascends into heaven, as he sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, as he equips these apostles to be the foundation of the church, as the New Testament letters are written, bringing theological understanding to all of the Old Testament and the ministry years of Jesus, and all of these events that are going to take place, how much more they're going to know and love and appreciate and see the glory of God. Christ continues to make God known to us. We have the completed word of God. We have the full story. And so he opens our eyes to understanding the truth in Scripture, and that guides us in life. So if you want to be a more loving person, who doesn't want to be a more loving person? If you want to be a more loving person, if you want to be a more loving husband or wife, Be a better parent. Be a more obedient child. Uh, Have a better attitude at work. Care for the people around you. The answer really does involve theology. Sounds funny, doesn't it? It's the study of God. It's knowing God. Not mere facts but a part of your relationship because you love him. Knowing his character, knowing his nature, knowing the ways in which he has loved you and continues to love you and the promises he has for you. 
You know, years ago, uh, Pastor Dale and I had a little radio program on the Dove. I don't know if any of you remember that. Uh, went on for years, right? Big hit. No. We love books. And so, apparently, Perry at the time was really desperate to fill airspace, and he asked us to come and do a book club. So Pastor Dale and I would bring uh, weekly, we'd do this, we'd bring a bunch of books, new books or classics, good theological books that we tried to encourage. And sometimes we even, um, sometimes we even took calls, which told us that there were at least a couple of people listening to us. We took calls. I'm not sure how comfortable Perry was with this, but one day I remember we, um, we received a caller. Dale just pointed it at me and said, you take it. And um, this person asked for a book recommendation, described it was either a marriage issue or a parenting issue, and, and, and they asked, you know, what book would you recommend for that? And with absolute sincerity, here's what I suggested. J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. And uh, it's probably the reason why the show was eventually canceled. Uh, But I explained why I recommended that book. Knowing God, not the book, but knowing God in general, changes us. There's a place for books on marriage and parenting and books that give us helpful tips and strategies. But sometimes a bigger help is what will actually impact and change our hearts and our minds, our attitudes, enable us to respond in ways that are consistent with who God is and how He has loved us, His grace toward us. So the answer to our relational issues has to do with our need to grow in godliness, to be in God's Word, to spend time in prayer, And boy, if we need it, if ever there was a time, it seems like now, because we have all these conflicts and all of these irritations. And the the problem really isn't out there. It's not out there. The problem is here, you, me, our attitudes, our love or lack thereof. And we're either consistent with God and how he's been with us or we're not. So we need to know God. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in in his word. The answer really is to be in his word. And the evidence of this truth is in this prayer, verse 17, where Jesus prays, sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We need God's word. Jesus ends this prayer with an emphasis on love. And love impacts everything. If we love God, we will experience joy. If we love Jesus, we're going to desire to please him and we're going to be obedient to him. If we love God's word, then we're going to be committed to the truth. If we love the people around us, then we're going to care about evangelism and missions. If we love fellow Christians, then there's going to be a unity that's very important to God, communicated over and over and over again in his word. So what does it look like to love? Well, Jesus showed us. It's humble. 
It's humble. It's sacrificial service that's active and meets the needs of others. And the last words of Jesus' prayer sum up really the, the how concerning our love. How is it possible? And Jesus said, I in them. Father, I pray that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We may hear about the importance of being a loving person. We may want to be a more loving person, to be one of those people that you that are known for their kindness around the neighborhood, people who are willing to, to share the love of Christ with anyone they come into contact with. We may want to be this. We may want to be a more loving person in our family, in our neighborhood, at work. And then we wonder, is this really possible with me? Can this really happen? And when we read a prayer like this, we should realize just how possible it is. Because Jesus prays that he will be with us. He will be in us. He will be among us. If we know and trust Jesus, he is in us. And he says that it's his intention to continue making God known through us. Verse 24, here's the connection. Verse 24 speaks of glory. A glory that we will see one day when we behold Christ in his heavenly glory. And verses 25 and 26 also speak of a glory which is Christ in us. The love of God in us. Because Jesus said he would be in us. And Paul describes this in Colossians 1.27 saying the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Why do we love? How could we not? How could we not? Knowing God is the source of love. It is the difference between us and the world. It is the very prayer of Jesus to continue his work of love in and through us. So in faith, don't resist. Yes, God is sovereign. He has promised to continue his his work in us. How could we not? And yet we're not robots. We're not puppets. God is sovereign, and we respond. Don't resist. Don't resist the work of Christ in you. Don't neglect. Man, this is convicting for me. Messages like this. Evenings where I choose to watch TV instead of spending time in God's Word. Don't neglect God's Word. His mission His mission is way bigger than any self-justified annoyance of ours. It's way bigger than any evil plot out there or unjust actions that are going on in our world. Don't make those things bigger than this. There's nothing bigger than this. Don't resist spending time in God's Word. Don't resist getting to know Him. Don't resist growing in your love and worship of Him. Don't resist what He's called us to do 
which is to make His love known in the church, in your family, with that neighbor or co-worker, regardless of personality, politics, or some offense. God loved you while you were His enemy. An unlovable enemy. And if Christ truly lives in us, and we rightly know God, we will love like this. Let's pray. Father, we know that there are, there are many details and various uh, circumstances, various factors in our relationships that make this complicated. Details that require wisdom and discernment. It's not so easy, and yet we are to love. Help us to figure out how to, to know how to love. Guard us from making excuses. Guard us from thinking that our situation is somehow different than everyone else's. That somehow we're not, we're not to love as Jesus loved. Lord, if we, are, if we are to err, help us to err on the side of making efforts to love. Drive us to your word. Drive us to our knees. Give us wisdom. Give us eyes to see the, the opportunities to continue this work, your work, as your spirit helps us and changes us and gives us your heart. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to meet needs both in practical ways and through prayer. So we lift up the various missionaries that we are so blessed to be connected to, who are a part of this church family. We ask for their protection, their provision. We ask for fruit as they go and tell others about you. Make us missionaries as well. Lord, the needs are many, so help us, Lord, to love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.